Hey everyone, welcome back to episode number 86 of Stories from the Influencer Economy. My guest this week is Hank Green, uh, entrepreneur, musician, educator, and vlogger. I know him through his Vlog Brothers YouTube channel, which is subscribed to in the millions. Many of you may know his work as the co-founder of VidCon that he started with his brother, Hank. It's the largest online community conference for video makers in the world. I went to the very first VidCon. It is one of my most favorite events in anywhere in the world. Aside from VidCon and the Vlogbrothers, he started the environmental technology blog EcoGeek. He also co-founded the crowdfunding company Subbable, which was acquired by Patreon back in 2014. And he has a lot of other projects around YouTube with education, science, and teaching people about awesome things. So he's a true leader in the influencer economy. The influencer economy is a term I coined, and it's a way for people to learn how to become an influencer, a self-empowered leader, and to launch their ideas to the world based around things that they love. In the digital age, you don't need to go to business school or be an Ivy League educated person. This show is a laboratory for creative people to share their visions and how they launch their ideas to the world. And leading writers and podcasters to reverse engineer their careers and success. If you'd like to learn more about the coaching program I'm offering, email me ryan at influencereconomy.com if you have an idea you want to share with the world. Again, ryan at influencereconomy.com. And I'm excited because the book is launching on June 14th. More details to come about the Influencer Economy book that I've been working on for the last two and a half years, culminating with the launch in June. Without further ado, Hank Green. Uh, hey, everyone. Welcome back to the show here with Hank Green. Hank, welcome. Hello. Hello there, Internet. Uh Hank is from the Nerd Fighters fame of the Vlog Brothers YouTube channel. He's also one of the co-creators of VidCon with his brother John Green. In addition to you're an entrepreneur, you've invented the 2D glasses and <laughs> had a company called Subbable, which yeah. is similar to Patreon and just was acquired by them recently. So I'd love to get into the, like the prequel to uh, the Vlog Brothers channel. So can um, you so can you jump into that? Yeah, so it was 2007. YouTube had been around for, you know, sort of culturally, like people knew about it, had had known about it for about a year. Uh, we, you know, John and I spent a lot of time, I mean, mostly he, mostly he spent a lot of time caring about YouTube and uh, and thought that it was interesting and watched some of the things that were going on then. Uh, and, you know, some of those people remain a part of, YouTube at large and some of them have completely vanished but uh the well I mean there's still people they're still doing stuff uh but we <laughs> yeah you know it just seemed really interesting and particularly Zay Frank who's now running BuzzFeed video and doing really interesting things there uh was doing a really cool project that was fascinating and weird and uh not even on YouTube but it was online video so we thought we would try to do the same like do a thing like Zay, except that we there would be two of us, so it would be half as much work for each of us, which would be good because it looked like he was spending a lot of time. Um, and that, uh, you know, we did that for a year uh, every day, and we didn't talk to each other in any other way. Uh, we just made videos to each other, we sort of had it be like a like a fun, jokey, trying to one up each other brother project. And by the end of it, there were enough people that we wanted to keep doing it. And now it's eight years later. <laughs> um, in in the midst of that time, like we've we started a charity event that first year. And then the year after that, we started a, a record label that has since become obviously a merch company because uh, what does a record label do anymore? Uh, <laughs> and uh, except to get acquired by other record labels. And or uh, if you're in Brooklyn or Silver Lake, there's a high demand for records. Yes. <laughs> um, and uh, and we started VidCon in 2010 and we started uh, Subbable in, in, in 2013, maybe. 
Uh, and it's yeah, we we basically it's been the story of like this is a very new way to have an audience. It's a like the 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 systems of distribution are so flat now that all of the models break down and have to be rebuilt. And so our story has basically been like like take yourself out of it for a second and look at what it is and what's interesting about this and and what does it need? What you know like what are the new models going to be and what should you try out and like trying out lots of new things and some of them work and some of them don't. And, uh, and, but the, the number one thing is that we have this community of people who are very supportive of the thing that we do. And so we can say we have this idea and, and if they like it, they will uh, be the initial activation energy. And if they don't like it, they will not hate us forever. And that's really nice. So they withhold negative judgment. Well, I mean, they, they'll say, like, I don't like this idea, um, but they, they won't, like, stop watching the videos. I mean, I, I imagine they eventually would if all we did was pitch them bad ideas. They'd get tired of it and move on yeah. to the next yeah. YouTube creator. <laughs> so your brother is older than you, is that correct? Yeah, he's three years older. And so when you guys were doing these videos, why did you choose the medium of video versus, you know, at that point, I guess there weren't, was there, Twitter was an infant... Twitter didn't exist. Twitter didn't exist. Facebook was at Harvard. Was, yeah, Facebook was there. Um, uh, why? Why did YouTube gravitate towards you? Let me make sure that Twitter didn't. When, when, when did, I feel like that's true. Um, Twitter did exist, but it had, it had existed for a, just a, a few months. <laughs> it was a hatchling. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is back in '07. Uh, yeah, we started January 1st, 2007. So at that point, no one was really using Twitter outside of San Francisco tech people. Yeah, correct. So it hadn't and, been adopted uh, by like Oprah. Right. No, yeah. There, there was not. Yeah, absolutely. It was a it was a fun, weird thing. Uh, which back is when it how, had the stereotype of you would talk about eating a pastrami sandwich for lunch and yeah. no one got Twitter. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we, I mean, we were into video because it was, it felt like a really interesting way to build community it felt like a really significant interaction with a viewer and that uh and that it was fundamentally different i don't know that we really like like we wouldn't be able to articulate this but we felt it that it was fundamentally different from uh other forms of video in that the person that's watching is much more active uh, in a much more active state of mind and would be much more interested in having that be a sort of two-way exchange. And especially in the early days of YouTube when the number of viewers versus the number of creators, you know, it was kind of the same number because everyone was both. And uh, and so you got to have that back and forth relationship and it was very different from any kind of media that I had ever experienced. And And being able to be a part of it but not feel like it was just like it was bigger than the thing I was creating. So there's uh, there's people yeah. like Hannah Hart that are creators that make My Drunk Kitchen. And yeah. The video just takes off. And maybe yeah. her intention wasn't to ever be that person <laughs> that suddenly is writing a bestseller book on the New York Times list and yeah. you know, is dialed into the, the, the entertainment world. Was there ever a moment where you felt like this is not what we ever saw happening with the nerd fighters and the culture that you built around the, your YouTube channel? Um. Yeah, I mean, constantly, every like every week, something would happen where I'd be like, "There's no way that just happened." Like, you know, Neil Gaiman would put us on his blog, or you know, we'd get featured on the front page of YouTube, or we'd hit twenty thousand views on a video, or, um, you know, or we'd do a community project and the response would be way bigger than we ever would have imagined, or we'd do a live show, or we'd like went to a library and like like fifty or sixty people showed up, like this. Like every day there was something happening that was and that's still kind of the case where I, you know, I talk to people on the phone now and I'm like, did I really just talk to the CEO of YouTube on the phone? Did that just happen? Um, and that's really cool that I get to do that. Um, so the uh, yeah, the, the constantly, but at the same time, not really at the same time, it was always sort of like because it was incremental in that way, uh, it never, there would never felt like one moment where it all happened. It never felt like, um, it got out of hand suddenly uh, that a little bit happened with the fault in our stars. My brother had a book, the fault in our stars, which went, 
on to become a very popular movie and that and the the influx of movie fans felt like something that was happening external to us that we did not comprehend like fully so that was that was sort of a moment where it was like okay this is a thing that is happening to us that we are not in control of and it's not uh and and also any like pop culture phenomenon has anti-fans and so we had all these like people who hated the movie who now hated us and we were like stop we're no it's we have nothing to do with any i'm just a guy (laughs) youtube videos so were people Um, going looking at like john's backstory trying to learn more about him as the writer of the book, yeah, and, and they, right, right. they stumbled upon yeah. the nerd fighteria, right? Or people who are who like uh, were were you know, and, and we all do this. We're defining themselves in opposition to like that culture that's into that movie. Uh, they're like, oh, everybody loves this so much, but I'm not like those people, so I'm gonna say that I. And, and then they would investigate the backstory of John and try to find things to dislike about him, which was fascinating and awful. <laughs> yeah, when I talked to Freddie Wong, he said some people hate video game high school. Because he's sold out from doing his old videos, and yeah. it's hard to please everyone when you reach a certain level. Yeah, yeah, and and I remember like early on thinking like, no, that's not true. Like we could we like we're doing this. We're a big deal. We've got lots of viewers, and everybody likes us. And uh, but eventually, that's why the, that's why the only following worth having is a cult following. Like that's the best is have is being like super like being underground and indie is good. It is pleasant. It's. It, you know, it, there's just there's something about, you know, no one knowing who you are unless they like you. Right. Like the Grateful, you know, like the, the just, grateful Dead. Yeah. Like if everybody if everybody knows who you are, then some people are not going to like you just because they just people don't have space in their heads for all that uh, jazz. So we you know, so it was there was a, a weird moment where suddenly John in particular, but like both of us by proxy me. Uh, you know, were sort of more well known, so and like more sort of, of pu- like largely known by everyone because the Fault in Our Stars was a little bit of a phenomenon. So it's like when a band is an indie rock band, and they play like the Black Cat in DC or wherever, yeah. And they then they suddenly they open up for like the Stones, yeah. And they're like, oh, Kings of Leon, they're no longer just a cult indie rock band, yeah. And yeah. so and so that <laughs> and that notoriety really yep. changes things, yeah. Right. Yeah, I've played the Black Cat, by the way. Great club. Oh, nice. Would you, I uh, I was born in D.C. I used to live there before I moved to L.A. Yeah. Um, would you play? Um, I have a band. Uh, and so I was on tour with two other bands. And we just, it was, I mean, this this was like a year ago. Like oh, less, okay. than, less than a year ago. Um, and it was a super great show. Fun okay. venue, really nice, really nice staff. I remember sp- specifically being like, "Ooh, these people are cool." And then we had the worst drive ever. It's a long story. <laughs> so you're like in a you're road road tripping in a van at this point. Is that how you're getting yeah, around? Yeah, yeah, yep. What what music instrument do you play? I play guitar. It's right right there. I see that. Yeah, uh, you, you, you uh, pwn noobs on your guitar. That's what it says. Yep. Uh huh. And I uh, and I I write mostly. I write songs. Um, I'm not a very good musician, but I do enjoy writing songs a lot. So this is something I didn't say in the intro that you play in a band. <laughs> um, yeah. It's like, it, it is the probably the funnest thing that I do. Like, uh, I like a lot of my work. It's very stimulating. And like, you know, it, it's not the thing that I would pick over any, everything else because like other things I feel like are more important. Um, and like, and, and maybe like, you know, get my juices going more because like we're like doing things that are that's stressful and difficult and like, you know, that stuff is, is fun in its own way. But the the it's so simple and so fun. And and it has that element of like fear where you know you get up getting up on stage and you're gonna do the thing. And I can never stop getting scared of being on stage in front of an audience. But um but it's like every night you do this thing that is both very fun and taxing and uh and the, the you know the, the interaction with the audience is amazing and then you go to sleep and but before you go to sleep you get to count your money which is nice you get to be like we made five hundred dollars tonight mm-hmm. and I, that's like it feels much more like real that like here we go to this place the club like there's a cover people pay money to come see us they buy some shirts and maybe a flash drive of my music and 
and then like like this is this feels like a regular normal economic transaction rather than like the weird okay we got we got 400,000 views on this video which means we made $800 it was like what how is that so divorced <laughs> from reality like the amount of impact you just had on like you know the the number of hours that were spent watching your content and then you're like and so we can this week we can pay our employees. Um, so like, yeah, touring is, touring is very fun and I don't get to do it a lot. And I also wouldn't want to do it like constantly, you know, it's very fun to do for like two weeks at a time. What's so different than recording in your living room on a computer screen, uploading right to YouTube and getting comments and likes and yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, that's one of the reasons why I thought that VidCon was, was necessary and important when we were first, you know, 2010, YouTube was starting to be a big deal and there had been you know we'd done a bunch of uh you know we'd done a little tour that was all it was all free stuff like library tour um and uh, that was around john's book paper towns which was also turned into a movie um and uh and so yeah we uh had experience with that and i figured somebody was going to create an industry conference of some type uh, that would be focused more on the industry part of online video. And that actually had already happened a little bit. Um, and and then there was going to be like more like fan-focused stuff. And I wanted to do both of those things in the same place. Penny Arcade does that at, at PAX, which I really like. And PAX was a big inspiration to me. Uh, and the guys at Penny Arcade are actually a big inspiration to me as well, just in terms of how they've built their community and, and the business around their community. Um, and uh, And so I wanted to do that. And I knew online video was a big deal. I always have believed online video is a big deal. So do, even, do you think that even, you're more like your brother's more of a dreamer and you're more of a doer? Or do you guys switch back and forth with things like your your content on YouTube and, and VidCon? That's a really interesting question. I I don't know. I think that we're, bo- we're both both of those things. We just do, do it in different directions, I think. Like, I'm much more into the idea of, like, having a business and, and employing people. And, like, I like solving that kind of problem than John does. Uh, John likes to, you know, solve more creative problems. Um, and, you know, obviously writing books is a very sort of long process that doesn't have a lot of feedback in amongst it, unlike watching a video or making YouTube video or, where you or doing do it a live show at Black Cat. Right. Yeah. Um, and, you know, an album can kind of be like that. But honestly, the way that I record albums is, you know, whether I record music, ten, you know, in the past has been like I write a song and then I put, put it on YouTube the next day yeah. and I see what people think. Um, so, like, you know, that the process of being an author is is a much more introspective internal thing and, and doesn't have a lot of feedback until the thing comes out. So, so then, so then it, definitely do it different. So you're talking about music and I, I do want to talk about VidCon. I'm so excited, but I have to hold on because okay. I want to talk about you decreasing um, and having the world suck less. Right. And so, sort of how that's the philosophy. I feel like <clears throat> a lot of creative people that have teams around them to help them achieve their goals and dreams often have a vision and a philosophy that is, you know, able to be parsed into VidCon or the Vlog <laughs> Brothers, and I feel like yeah. I mean, that would be—it's the name of your your merch company, you know. Yeah. So, um, you know, like, uh, don't forget to be awesome. Yeah. So, w- would you say decreasing world suck or don't don't forget to be awesome? Like, which of those is more intrinsic to your values, or both? I mean, they're they're similar. Um, they're different. John and I actually had we're having this conversation just this morning about how we have this problem where we can't really put all of our enterprises under one idea. We can't say like this is what this is about because we have a we have a merchandise company and we have a conference and we have a nonprofit and we have an educational media company and like all these things are, you know, tied together in some way, but they're all different. You know, like that they, they're basically tied together by like our interests. Which is not, you know, it's not a big, you know, like people are complicated. So <laughs> uh, we, so no, I, I don't really feel like, like I can pick. Um, I do like the idea of like the goal of a human is to decrease suck and increase awesome. Like that was sort of a, you know, like a, a, 
a saying from early Vlogbrothers. Um, and those are two different things. Um, uh, I, you know, like, and, and sometimes you can get caught in the, and, and like, it's, uh, it's so objectively better to decrease suck. You know, you look at like, you know, people who have awful lives and there are lots of people who die of preventable diseases. There are lots of people who die of hunger. There are lots of people who die uh, in wars. And like, these are problems we can solve. And the only reason we aren't solving them really is because we haven't applied the right amount of resources, both cognitive and monetary to them. And, uh, and like, that's, that's messed up. Yeah. But that's at real the same life. time, like you also can't go through life just playing defense. Like you also have to do interesting things and like you have to say, like send a rover to Mars and you have to, um, you know, have the world series. Like these things are good and they help us, uh, leave full, lead full lives that we can, you know, then allow us to, to apply ourselves to other, uh, you know, other goals. So, um, I, I feel like you have to, you have to have both of those things. Um, but really I'd like, but there's such the, a funny the, way to say it. Like you're not, yeah, you're not like some high and mighty, like, Hey, we need to right. be a high well, achieving and high value <laughs> opportunity yeah. people. And I, I feel like we have this problem in our society where, where churches are very good at giving people like advice on how to be people. And, uh, and they're, and they're very good at like organizing people into groups that can be effective for change and for, um, you know, and, and, and for doing good, but we don't have a lot of other systems besides churches that are good at that. Uh, or we have none really. And whenever, whenever somebody like starts to be a secular version of that, um, a secular version of like, here's how you be a good person and live a good life. It starts to immediately look really creepy and right. skeezy. And so the way that we sort of fight against that is we say like, yeah, we can like, hopefully we like, I think people need uh, like an opportunity to talk about and think about how to be a person in the world. Uh, and including people who don't believe in, uh, you know, who, who don't have any particular religion around them and, or, or like who don't feel comfortable inside of a religious infrastructure. And, and so the way to do that is to like, you just strip out everything and so you sound like you sound a little bit silly and then you don't sound like a cult leader and that's good. <laughs> so you can be not a cult leader by calling yourself a nerd. Because right, well, I mean, it's a more I, self-deprecating I and not as yeah. Serious. I mean, there's definitely a self-deprecating piece of it, um, and like, and, and and some people like on a, like some people do get like turned off by the fact that we talk about that kind of stuff, and that's you know that's fine. Talking but about I think what it, stuff? it has like re religion. No, no, like uh, like just how to be a person. Uh, why? I don't know because it's because it's like here are these two guys and they talk to a bunch of kids about like how to live their lives and that's for their parents to decide or or like like who are they to think that they have these answers interesting when, and like you know I I get that and like I don't have answers a lot of the time but your um, your tone but, isn't very much of like a talking down I mean it's the opposite you right your gang well, symbols but, are Vulcan signs yeah yes. How serious yep. can you take someone's lecturing or, you know, it's not lecturing. But, it's... We, but we do it like we go into like big lectures sometimes where we'll be like, you know, like there's, you know, you go and, and like look at our our merch and there's some things like, you know, I, I have a, a, some merch that's like we are all, you know, semi broken love machines or, uh, you know, you make you. Like things, you know, like you have the, I, I, I can't, I can't come, but we have a bunch of these like, you know, profound sounding quotes that just sort of have happened over the years. And they, I think that they help people, but they also like, fr like from first glance can be like, okay, what, are, what do we get involved in here? <laughs> Which, you know, like, I don't, like, I have, have no issue with it, but like, I, I do like understand that like there have been so many people who have used, you know, the idea of like how you construct a better self and, and like what is identity and what are we and what are our goals to then manipulate people and take their money and be bad. Um, uh, so like I, I understand that like people who want to be wary of that. But then you guys embracing the nerd part of it, 
it's like there's a lot of uh, what I love about YouTube is the underserved communities of people. Yeah, like you that's don't, totally. You don't see a Freddie Wong really on network television up until yeah. recently. I think <laughs> was the first time they had an Asian American themed yeah. show. Yeah, and you know Hannah Hart, like I mentioned before, she's a lesbian and she gets these letters from people that are like, "Wow, like it's so awesome that you're putting yourself out there." Mm-hmm. Um, what about the power of online video with nerds and people that maybe don't identify themselves in their high school or, or college is finding people like them that can find it through YouTube creators? You know, like the identity of the nerd is a weird one. And what uh, what it is, so there, there are a ton of underserved communities. And that is a really interesting thing about YouTube. And I was always fascinated by that to see, especially like it continues to happen. Like the, uh, you know, like English speaking Indian community has and like that also exists in India, um, has recently become very much a big deal on YouTube. And there were a bunch of new uh, Indian creators uh, who have become popular and are are fantastic. Um, And so like it was almost like YouTube was best at serving underserved communities because, of course, there are uh, lots of communities who are very well served like but like, it's a weird like thing ga- gamers or geeks they're right. introverts they they aren't social but then you play minecraft or call of duty and right. suddenly you're making like hundred thousand dollars a year because you're the coolest guy playing minecraft <laughs> the, the weird thing about the nerd is that it's a kind of it's a it's kind of saying like i am part of the the dominant culture like i look like the dominant culture and, you know, like that's and that's why it's sort of like the idea of the black nerd is a surprise to us. We're like, oh, no, you can't be a black nerd because because nerds are, are you know, like the ostracized portion of the dominant community. Um, and and of course, like, of course, yes, you can be a black nerd. Uh, but it, it initially it it sounds a little weird to us. And, and I think that like what you know, what you see with with nerds. Uh, of color is that they tend to be, uh, you know, like they, they tend to have like these, this like multiple ways of being, uh, being <laughs> marginalized, yes. um, which is always not always just fun, one marginalization. Like, yeah. Um, it's, you know, like it's, it's always good when you meet like a, like a <laughs> female black lesbian nerd and yeah. you're just like, Oh man. Yeah. That's gotta be rough. You're like, I heard the, I had the genetic library. <laughs> or the genetic lottery. I'm a, yeah. a white guy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as far as I can I'm tell, I'm straight. That's... Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I'm a straight white male um, had... uh, who has money. Like, I went to I... college. Yeah. So you know? it's it. You know, as far as like it being an underserved demographic, it is. But it's it's not really a demographic. It's it, it's the kind of like it's the it's the people who didn't fit in, despite the fact that they look the same as as like the dominant folks. Um, and so I kind of always feel a little bit weird about that because, you know, obviously there are communities that that need uh, need love and support need, more than need more than nerds. But like I also, you know, I I needed that love and support. And I and like I'm so happy to to be a place where people can feel like they're a part of something and can feel more comfortable in their identity and not like they have to wedge themselves into the identity of the dominant culture. And uh, and I think that that's a lot of what's cool about not just online video, but um, the sort of, uh, you know, the, 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 uh, you know, the, the sort of crumbling of the monolithic structure of culture, of, especially of entertainment culture. And so with uh, Project for Awesome, that's something that came along, you know, after your YouTube channel. And mm-hmm. that's a bit more serious and helpful to talk about underserved communities and providing yeah. value. How did that yeah, come I mean, to be? The, the initial idea was like uh, we had been making YouTube videos for almost a year and we had a big enough audience that we felt like uh, you should do something good with this. And it, that's like a pattern you see over and over again. Like there are a lot of YouTube creators who have um, who have like charity projects once a year. And, you know, Penny Arcade has has their charity arm. And um, like that's, you know, like it just seemed it, it it wasn't like it didn't come from ex, like anywhere outside it just seemed like oh we can do something cool and in the first year and in the in the first couple of years uh it was just like this is the day we're all going to make videos about charity we're going to talk about how there are charities in the world and they do good work and we're going to think about that for a day and back then the youtube algorithm was very easy to game and so we had everybody sort of work together to convince youtube to like youtube's algorithm to promote these videos um, so you game the system. And, and, and that was basically, that was a lot of the impetus behind the thing is that like we realized that we could game the system 
And it was like, well, we could only game the system if we got everybody to agree to game the system. And so you can only really do it if it's, for, if it's something that everybody agrees on doing. And so it was like, oh, we could do it as a charity project. So that was part of it, was just like knowing that we could mess with YouTube and, uh, and doing it for a good cause instead of, uh, instead of for, I don't know, views. Um, and, then, uh, and then it just has become a little bit of a part of the fabric of YouTube culture. Um, you know, we have a lot of creators who participate. Hannah Hart participates. Um, you know, they, they create perks now that we, uh, that we like basically sell for charity, usually they're digital that are just like like exclusive content maybe that you could get through this. And, and, and last so it's year like we a raised, big, but it's a, it's not a telethon per se, but it's a, it's yeah, but it is a lot. It know, is not, it is not a telethon because no telephones are involved, but uh, it is, it is a telethon. The guy it is, it has become that. Jerry Lewis is not involved. No, I'm, I would love, I would love if he, if he were, so but what's, how, would you, how would you explain the format to people? Um, it is a lot of collaborations. Yeah, it, it's it, it's two things. Uh, one, encouraging people to make videos about charities, and two, it is a it, a forty eight hour long live stream that does not end, in which lots of different YouTube creators come on and co host, and uh, and and we just sort of talk about what's available in the stream. We do silly things. We have fun, um, and we encourage people to vote on their favorite videos. That uh, so we watch videos that people have made we encourage people to vote on them the videos that get the most votes then get a portion of the money we raise and so not the videos but the charities featured in the videos and do people pick their own charities or is there one universal charity each year um uh people pick their own charities so like if you want to make a video for the project for awesome you can do it for your local humane society or you could do it for unicef like uh and that is totally what happens um and then uh the money gets to like the first uh, half of the Project for Awesome's money gets distributed to two large international aid organizations. And then the second half of the Project for Awesome, that lump of, it's surprisingly complicated, that lump of money gets distributed to uh, the top 20, pro- usually the top 20, it depends on how much money we raise, the top 20 um, uh, charities featured in the top 20 videos. This is more of your uh, do- your doer personality coming out as you explain the mechanics of how the money yeah. gets distributed. <laughs> um, yeah. And the nice thing is that like we have all of this infrastructure, so we have a record, we have a, a warehouse for distributing merchandise. For record we company. Have, we have a graphic designer who's on staff. We have, uh, you know, like we have a, a tech guy who's on staff, so we can do all this stuff for free. There's no overhead for the project for awesome. It's just like the company donates the time of. Oh, this of is your own company. Yeah, and this includes VidCon. Are they part of the company as well? Well, uh, so like our graphic designer, for example, works for VidCon and for DFTBA.com, which is our merch company, and, uh, and for um, our educational media company. So that person works for three different LLCs, but their time is split, and there's a whole employment agreement exactly. that we work out, and basically one of the companies gets paid by the other two companies for that person's How time. How many people do you have under you in these certain capacities? I think we have, a, a like at all of the companies combined, we have a, like 35. Wow, that's no small order. Yeah. And you're based in Montana? Yeah, we have offices in Montana and Indianapolis, and then we have some people who, are, who telecommute. Wow, that's awesome. So then when you talk about your VidCon... Uh, Genesis. There's always the story about you and your brother, how you plan to meet ups in real life. Yeah. And you met people in meet spaces from the digital space. <laughs> I just think the meet space is a funny term. Yeah. Um, whether or not it makes sense to anyone, it means meeting people in real life. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where you're made of meat. <laughs> where you're made of actual meat. That's the whole like meat hooks, you know, on the hands. Yeah. And, um, but you all like you and your brother, you did a, a meetup and maybe in Michigan or you did a, a tour and you realized that people on YouTube that were your community were real people and they were yeah. actual like non-psychotic people that <laughs> no one wanted to hurt you because back yeah. in the 07 08 era we were still a little edgy about the internet and we thought maybe that people yeah. would hurt us <laughs> i wasn't afraid of that at all um well, maybe just my I mom did, i was. just didn't think anybody was going to show up oh, really? i thought like i was going to like we were going to do this thing at this library and uh and and there's going to be like five or six people there because john had done a bunch of book readings for his like you know when you're an author for his previous books you'd go to bookstores and libraries and do readings and like you know 10 people show up and so we had like an over under on how many people would be there and i think it was 20 and it ended up being like 
60 or 80 people. Um, where, and it just like that? the room, like it was standing room only, uh, you know, like we had a really great time and, uh, it, yeah, I, it, like it changed everything. What was Maureen that? Johnson what, was there. What'd you call the event? Was it just a, a vlog I don't, I don't know up? that we did. I can't remember. That'd, that'd be really interesting to see. Like go back and see like how we marketed that and like what we were doing. Like <laughs> we had, I'm sure we had no idea what we were doing. And this is at libraries in the Midwest where you would go meet people. It was just, it was just one thing. We just did the first time we did it. We just did one show and I think it was in Ann Arbor, Michigan, but okay. I could, no, it wasn't. It wasn't. Oh God. I don't know where it was. <sighs> I've forgotten. That's embarrassing. So from, from that moment, you're like, this is holy crap. Meat space. Like this is, yeah. This is, well, yeah. And then, and then when an Paper Internet. Towns came out, Penguin planned this whole tour and we got to go all across America and, uh, we did go to Ann Arbor on that tour and we, you know, we went all over the place and it was, it was super neat. And so when was the first kernel in your, in your collective brain with your brother about the VidCon? Um, I went to a conference Which called I, I haven't told anyone who's listening. I love this conference. I just want to read it. <laughs> like it is the coolest conference. I went to the very first one. Which was oh, in really? Century City, Los Angeles. Oh, that's amazing. And I was at machinima.com, an early employee there. And I somehow didn't even get invited, but I finagled my way in. To yeah. put it in context, LeBron James was playing for the Cleveland Cavaliers the first time. And he was doing, <laughs> he was at, like, I was at VidCon when he made the decision to go to the yeah. Miami Heat. And I love, I, this guy, um, one of my favorite YouTubers was What the Buck. And yeah, Buckley. Buckley, yep. he was at the bar hanging out with fans and people that worked at Machinima. It was this amalgamation yeah. of all these worlds that didn't intersect. And the beauty of it was it was across from CAA, this big agency that I would imagine <laughs> had no idea what was going on. Oh, no, they had no idea. They had no idea. Um, See, what was the first inspiration for you felt like we need to do something bigger, physical to meet people? Um, I went to a event in, uh, in, oh gosh, I don't even know where it was. It was where was it? Uh, I don't know. So I went to LeakyCon, which is a Harry Potter convention. Uh, I liked it a lot. It was a really wonderful experience. It was run by uh, Melissa Anelli, and like I, it was my first time being like a like a proper guest at a convention where I was like I was performing and I was doing signings and we did a Q and A, uh, and and I was like this is amazing. Uh, and then I was I like you know a few months later I just emailed Melissa and I said what if we did a YouTube convention? And I don't know where that came from. It came from a combination of having done some of these and also having been to LeakyCon and really liking it. And I, and she said, and she like emailed me a day later with like, uh, with like four venue possibilities in, in California. Like she didn't even like answer my email. She just started working on it. <laughs> so That's awesome. she, she, we worked with her for two years. Uh, she helped us sort of start the event up. And this is Melissa, who who was at LeakyCon. Yeah, Leaky with a Leaky. with a K. Okay, she still does conventions. Uh, you know, they they do three different conventions now. And so, when you put it together, was the motivation to bring together the community and the creators, and then also brands and agents, or was that did that come later? That came later. Uh, it, 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 at the at the time in 2010, it was like there were literally people who wrote and they were like, "Can I come to VidCon if I don't have a YouTube channel?" And it was like, yeah, yeah. But like most people did. Most people who were at VidCon either worked on YouTube channels or, you know, like had channels themselves. They might not have had channels that they ever like planned to have be a big deal. But, um, you know, they they were like, yeah. And like, you know, and, and it's funny, like looking back, I like was looking through some old pictures and like there's a picture of Tyler Oakley and he's just there. He's just yeah. in the crowd, uh, like hanging out with his friends. Cause like, and, and, and like in that same picture, there are a bunch of other, uh, YouTubers who like, aren't like Tyler Oakley huge, but they are like, they, they remain, uh, you know, active YouTubers who like make a living off the site and like, you know, work with big media companies and yeah. What I loved about it was the fans were making as much content as the creators. Yeah. And people were carrying around right. cameras and phones and they were just as excited to do a collaboration with a big YouTuber as other YouTubers were to meet their fans. Yep. Yeah. Like, what what was that like for you? Like when you saw like the connection of the fan actually with these like someone because I, I Justine and Shay Carl and Michael Buckley these were like some of the early YouTube creators that you know transcended mm -hmm. more mainstream. Yeah, I mean, I 
I felt like it was, I'm, I mean, I've always felt like you, like YouTube is a big deal, online video is a big deal, and that VidCon is a big deal. And I'm just very pleased and proud that I get to be, a, like, like have made that thing happen. And, and, like, I, you know, someday in the future when we look back at the beginning of online video, the way that we're looking, like, that now we look back on the beginning of television or the beginning of radio or the beginning of movies, we'll think about, you know, like those early gatherings and like look at pictures from them and be like, first of all, we'll be like, oh my God, this picture, I can't believe how low resolution and only 2D it is. Um, but, you know, you'll also... It makes uh, me look so young because it's so yeah. low res. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you like there'll be that feeling of like, oh my gosh, look at these people hanging out, not knowing what a, what like, what important, like ne never really understanding how like, they were at the beginning of like something really interesting. I got the um, like the fire in my belly for the influencer economy concept at VidCon. Yeah. Because at Machinima, I was seeing all these gamers make a, a very good living and they were rock mm -hmm. stars and there were people mm -hmm. waiting hundreds deep to get autographs <laughs> yeah. for like a gamer that you've never heard of that plays Minecraft. Like I have, cup I has Cupquakes, Tiffany. Is yeah. A, she's hundred people deep, people waiting to get, selfies and autographs mm -hmm. and it was phenomenal and they were bigger stars than a traditional celebrity that would have walked up and oh yeah yeah it's always interesting when like traditional celebrities come to vidcon which they do and uh you know like it's it's it sort of like like makes my brain hurt a little bit like mark ruffalo was there this year and he's just sort of like milling around um and like i'm like oh my god mark ruffalo and a lot of the fans like like he could literally walk around like you know, exponentially more easily than a top-level YouTube creator at VidCon. People, one, aren't really looking out for him. But two, like, it's a completely different crowd, man. It's just, like, those people don't consume media the way that we do. <laughs> I, I love meeting parents. Yeah. When people are in line for a, a, a talk, yeah. and their, like, 12-year-old daughter from Florida wants to be a singer on YouTube. And the parents are just like, yeah, we're here. You know, we don't know what's going on, but she screams when she sees this guy that's on Vine. Yeah. Like the yep. co collective, the community, like now it's in Anaheim. It's this Justin Timberlake concert feel. Yeah. Where there's a lot of teenage girls screaming. Yeah. They take up a lot of cognitive space. Uh, <laughs> and and it it can sometimes feel like, uh, is this the place for me? Uh, which is why, you know, now we have sort of we have three separate tracks. We have an industry track, which is for people who are very much in the sort of like business of online video and don't think about the content very much. And then we have a creator track for people who actually make it and talk about like the, the creation and, and the, you know, and building audiences and, and like working, working the YouTube system, et cetera. And then we have the community track, which is fo more focused on fan stuff and like seeing people on stage and getting autographs and uh, selfies and stuff. Yeah, one of the best keynotes I saw recently was Grace Helbig's from about a year and a half ago, mm -hmm. where she talked about uh, she had an issue with a bigger channel <coughs> that had uh, controlled her content, and she wanted to get out of her contract, and she ultimately did and went on her own and launched mm -hmm. It's Grace from the Daily Grace, and how the community yep. of YouTubers helped to collaborate and raise her subscriber level. And she talked specifically yep. about uh, you know, the Tumblr post that you and your brother wrote. Mm -hmm. Like, what do you think about the community of YouTube and how they're able to lift up others in, in ways that you really don't see in other media? Um, I mean, we're friends. So, like, it just was like when uh, we, had, we had all known that Grace was in this situation for, for over a year and that she was trying to get out of it. And, and that, you know, we, it, like, you know, to, from my perspective, like, the idea that my YouTube channel would be not the place where I am anymore. And I'd have to like try and move my entire audience that like, you know, I, I'm sure people listening to this won't necessarily be like wrenched to the, the core, the way that that feels to me. If you're listening it's to like, this hashtag first world problems. Yeah. Just yeah. To, uh... But, but like, but in a lot of ways, that's the, that's your identity is tied it's, up. It's in who this. you are. Like you, yeah. And like, and so, like, it's like having a piece of you, like, ripped out and, like, knowing that that was going to have to happen to Grace um, was infuriating and definitely mobilized me to want to help and, uh, and, and 
yeah, and like you know, just the just the sense of like I want to write this injustice in whatever way possible, and uh, and also like you know, just knowing that Grace is a great person and like wanting to help good people who make good stuff, um, you know, especially when they're your friends. So I think you said something yeah. like "long live Grace" or like end of grace long live grace or something yeah yeah <laughs> um but yeah i uh i yeah it's in general like the the youtube community is pretty you know there there well there hasn't been a lot of time for there to be like really substantial conflicts created but people like each other and uh and it's a good it's a good group of people um and and a lot of it is that like people started doing this before there was a real path to being like a successful person making a living doing it and because of that most people are just tremendously grateful that this surprising weird thing happened to them and now that they now they get to be now they get to like live their dream every day that's a great way to think about it actually where there was no path to fame there wasn't a blueprint and if yeah. anything people thought YouTubers were going to be fads and yeah, that there was no monetization or no ability to make any sense of any, any semblance of money. Because at that point, yeah. was YouTube did YouTube have ads when you started VidCon? Was it the Partners Program? Oh uh, yeah, yeah, the Partner Program had existed for a couple of years, um, but not when we started making videos. And why why do you you all collab so much? Is I'm saying you all because I'm not a YouTuber, but <laughs> and, and and podcasting as a collaboration is not the same because. There's just like it's a long conversation versus a, right. a, a eight minute video. Yeah, I people collaborate because of like for the like direct benefit reason of like knowing that like part of my audience is going to be interested in you and part of your audience is going to be interested in me. And so like if we collaborate, our audiences will grow. Um, but it's also because like you you want it like it's like an excuse to hang out with a person whose stuff you admire. And that's cool. Like you can be like, oh, I get to like, you know, you try and play it cool. But um, <laughs> you know, when I when I get to like make a video with Grace, it's like, uh, it's you know, it's really amazing. And like, yeah. like when well, the first time I I did a I did a My Drunk Kitchen. Oh no, sorry, a You Deserve a Drink. I also did a My Drunk Kitchen. But the first time I did a You Deserve a Drink, it was particularly terrifying because Mamrie is so funny and so quick and uh and like and you know she's like a professional improv comic and so i i know like walking into this and i'm like okay i have to be good and that drives you to do something like to try something scary and interesting and different uh like everybody makes slightly different kinds of content and so you know you you uh you know we had grace do a guest spot on our channel once um when john was on paternity leave and uh and oh, like you know from she, the channel yeah oh that's awesome i love how you formalize yeah. it it's that much of yep. ingrained in the culture <laughs> <laughs> did he run um, up by you you're like look you only get two months no no yeah it was a total it was a total thing that we set up so like like john like takes time off and then like his days get covered by other youtubers oh, that's awesome really um and uh and so so like grace got to do like okay what is what does it look like if grace is doing a vlogbrothers video you know which is weird you know it's just you get to try new things get to stretch new muscles oh, that's awesome i'm actually interviewing her for this we've rescheduled twice now but She's, yeah. So I, I love the collaboration because you're, you're, you're helping people. There's a, my, one of my favorite books is Adam Grant's Give and Take. And he talks about how givers succeed more in business and life than takers. Mm. But mm -hmm. givers fail more often than because they get taken advantage of. Right. So if you have your own self-interest aligned with giving, then that's the best model. Right. And yeah. there's something about that philosophy where being a good person it behooves a YouTube creator. Yes, at, at, certainly at the moment. I mean, there's there may be there may be exceptions to that. It's the sort of like uh, if you're trying to get a bunch of production deals and distribution deals and like work the system and, um, you know, or if you're trying to basically create a big company that might get acquired by a bigger company and you make a billion dollars, um, like there, like I feel like there are, you know. Yeah, you know, there there's there's paths that involve not uh, thinking. Uh, of other people first <laughs> true, <laughs> that, that, true. that could be successful but as far as like being a creative person um and like want like not wanting to to make a hundred million dollars but wanting to make cool stuff and do interesting things it really like it does require i, I feel like it requires you to not be a jerk yeah which is nice which is a nice value so yeah. 
I have a, a, a couple more questions and we can wrap up. I have up. to go at like in like three well, minutes. I will have three minutes of questions. Okay. Um, Subable. Yeah. So that was, is, is that you and your brother's company? Yeah. Uh, we created that basically to help fund our content because we felt like, you Helping know, the world suck less or yeah. not for well, you to I be mean, awesome. Well, I mean, it's sort of like tied into this idea of like we, we want to help creators create professionally. Like we want to do that to ourselves and we want to do that to other people because it's a great job. Um, so, uh, so both of those things, I guess. And, uh, so subable is just like a voluntary subscription platform, kind of a crowdfunding thing. If you know what Patreon is, it's basically Patreon. We launched like two weeks after Patreon. Oh no. Uh, and, and when Patreon launched, we were like, what? Cause of course we've been working on it for like six months. And you had no idea. Uh, and I called Jack because I'd known Jack before then. I called Jack and I was like, just so you know, I'm about to launch a, the exact same thing. But we've spent so much money on it and we can't not do it. Uh, so we did that. And then uh, we ran in parallel for a, a couple of years before we just uh, sold Subable to them and like sort of incorporated it because um, Patreon was a better product. So at the end, do you think you know, you're, you're in a position where your art and entrepreneurship can merge? And like it's yeah no that's I mean, the best that's man. a really cool like that's, note to end on so yeah talk that, about is, that that is the cool thing that I get to do that I get to be uh, and like and I like like running a business is a creative thing like like dealing with people and making like getting the best work out of them and uh, and and understanding their motivations aren't the same thing as your motivations like it's all like a bunch of moving parts and it's kind of a piece like it's kind of artwork in its own way um and so to me it's not like two different things it's like 20 different things and the fact that i get to do 20 different things and like that that like monday looks nothing like tuesday uh is just really satisfying to me and um and you know and and that like the that it's allowed me to build up a toolkit of both personal skills and, uh, you know, and like having, you know, access to all of these great people who work with me who, who will do what I tell them to, <laughs> um, uh, is just, uh, it's, it's, you know, it allows for like, like a, a creativity on a level that I never believed I could have access to. Cool. Well, that's great. Awesome note to end on. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thanks again for checking out the show. You can find Hank at youtube.com slash vlogbrothers. VidCon.com is the conference that's coming up in June that he is uh, hosting or co-hosting and co-founded with his brother, John. Also, check us out, influencereconomy.com with more details about the book launch. So excited. It's coming out in June. I will have an announcement later for you next week. (laughs) 